What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm Yubi, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Choose Inclusion. Super happy to be with you again today. My name is Mike Hess. And as always, I am joined by my amazing co-hosts, Nina and Uvaldo. Team, how are you? I'm doing oh. great. How are you? I, You know what? I, uh, I, I did some spring skiing yesterday, so I got a little bit of the raccoon look going right now, Nina. But uh, it's an amazing time in the Rocky Mountain region. And uh, I'm super excited this morning, guys, because we're talking to a guest that, um, you know, so many times we've talked about accessibility from, you know, you, you need to do this and, and it's, a, it's a compliance thing. It's a regulatory thing. And uh, today's guest, we're actually going to get to talk about, um, you know, the benefit of a major, major global brand that commits time and resources into this, because quite honestly, yes, it's the it's the right thing to do, but there's good economics behind it. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're joined uh, this morning by Mr. Mark Jones. Mark is the manager of accessibility for uh, the Walt Disney Resort campus. I think that's the right word, Mark, um, in, in Orlando, Florida, uh, for guests with disabilities. And so, Mark, welcome to the, uh, the Choose Inclusion podcast. Hey, good morning, everyone. Mike and the team. Hello. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, you having me join you today. Mark, I, uh, I'm so glad to, uh, to talk to you. I, I reached out to you on LinkedIn just because I'm always keeping my, uh, my eye and ear open for, you know, folks who are kind of posting about, you know, things that are accessible, accessible and that sort of thing. And, and I, and I like your, like your lens on things because it's so much about the physical accessibility, right? Which again, there's there's codes and stuff that organizations need to adhere to, but you at Disney take this kind of uh, to the next level because you really, again, you want um, you know people with disabilities to come and uh, have a great experience, so they come and spend their disposable income uh, with you at Disney. Can you, um, as, as you, um, you know, where you are today, 30 years into your Disney career, can you, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, about how you got here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, hi everybody. Uh, I'm Mark and I lead the accessibility work here physically at the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando. Greetings, by the way, from sunny Orlando, Florida. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Mike, I'm, I'm not quite 30. I'm getting close. Uh, this uh, fall, I'll actually be at 24 years full time uh, in the role that I'm in. And, and as Mike shared, my, my title is officially the manager of accessibility and services for guests with disabilities here at Walt Disney World Resort, which I think uh, for your uh, listeners, you might be aware, it's a pretty sizable property here. So that includes about 30 plus square miles of land here in Central Florida. And as part of that, that includes our four Walt Disney World theme parks, Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Disney's Hollywood Studios, Disney's Animal Kingdom. There are also two water parks. There's also an entertainment district called Disney Springs. 
and uh, about 25 plus resorts, things like the Yacht Club and the Beach Club and the Boardwalk and all those resorts that exist across those my, many, many miles of property. Um, and then there's other parts of the business that are, are under, under our, our scope as well. But um, yeah, I'm closing in, as I said, at about 24 years doing this great work. I have a real passion around accessibility. Um, although I don't have a disability myself, my journey uh, began actually on, on day one of my life. Um, I am what is known as a CODA. So many of your listeners might know that term. I'm a child of deaf adults. Both my parents are deaf. I also have one sibling, my older brother, Paul. He too is deaf. So growing up uh, in West Hartford, Connecticut, uh, I was the only person in my house uh, that could hear. So with that, um, as I started to grow up, came some responsibilities and some things that my parents asked that I help with. My parents were very self-sufficient, um, you know, very successful, but there were certain things during uh, that time where, you know, the technology perhaps wasn't as great as it is today, where I was kind of asked to kind of help out. So I would be assisting with um, things like answering the phone. Um, sometimes I would help answer the door. Um, I might accompany my parents from time to time to various appointments or meetings they had if they needed somebody who could sign. Um, and this, of course, all predates the ADA. But that was just kind of my upbringing in West Hartford. My brother, uh, older brother, Paul, actually attended the American School for the Deaf, which is in West Hartford as well. So my brother was able to go to school, but also be able to live at home. So that was kind of nice to have him around. Um, but uh, yeah, that was kind of my introduction to this work. Um, many CODAs that I know, um, like myself, um, all have vowed uh, that when they got to uh, the right age, they would uh, never, ever, ever want to be uh, involved in working with deaf people or providing interpreting because that's what they did their whole life. Um, I kind of said that a little bit, but fast forward um, a little bit in my timeline, and I actually found myself right in that work. And it's just something that I've had a passion for uh, my entire life. Um, I worked as a professional sign language interpreter for a while, uh, was introduced to Disney as a young child. My grandparents lived in Florida. So every year we'd venture down for a vacation. We'd go to Walt Disney World. So I was introduced to that very early on. Um, when I was in college, I attended the University of Tennessee, go volunteers. Uh, I, um, I participated in the Walt Disney World College program, which is an internship-based program where you would physically come to Orlando, be provided housing and you would work in um, a theme park or a resort for about a six month period of time. Um, I had the pleasure of working on the college program at an attraction, which brings a tear to my eye because it has since closed, but it's an attraction that was at Disney MGM Studios, now Disney's Hollywood Studios. That attraction is called the Great Movie Ride. So I uh, had a chance to work at the Great Movie Ride during my internship, met some great people from around the world. Uh, and loved it so much that I did a second internship and did uh, worked at the same location. Um, and uh, as time passed and, and other opportunities presented themselves, I had a chance to work in some other great companies. Um, also had a chance to work for Disney again at uh, Disneyland Paris, at the Disneyland Paris Resort for about a year. And then was presented with um, something that I literally uh, read about in one of the company newspapers that there was a department that was forming uh, and this was in and around 1996-97, a department that was forming called Services for Guests with Disabilities. I met with the manager of the department at the time, interviewed for a position, was hired to manage our sign language program specifically, 
and uh, fast forward to where we chat here today, had some chances, uh, chance to do some other things within the accessibility organization. Um, and now uh, I actually lead that team. So I have uh, three other employees that are cast members, as we call them, working for me on my team. And we get involved in projects and um, um, various things around the uh, Walt Disney World Resort here in Orlando. So I know that was a long intro, but hopefully that adds my team a bit more context to who I am and, and my passion uh, in this work. Mark, your, your passion clearly comes through. You, you just embody what I would imagine the Disney brand was. There's so much energy and excitement to everything you're saying. So. Well, I appreciate that. I really enjoy uh, Nina going to work every day. You know, there is that uh, uniqueness we're in right now where we're a bit in more of a virtual uh, work situation, but, but just working and, and being a part of the, uh, you know, the overall guest experience here is just something I, I really enjoy. So I was wondering if you could start, I mean, COVID has been a, a, obviously a really big impact on, on everything in the world. Um, but I think it's really interesting, you know, how, how can you talk to us about how, how that's affected you and the work that you're doing around accessibility and how that's impacted kind of Disney and the stuff that's, you know, going around, uh, around accessibility as well. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think your listeners are aware that, you know, over the past year, businesses have really had to start thinking about how they operate their business. Uh, you know, businesses, uh, depending on the kind of business, were, were forced in many situations to close their doors for a period of time. And that's exactly what happened to us here in Orlando. We, we had a uh, 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 hope that the, the outbreak of COVID would be short-lived and we would be on the other side of it quickly, but that obviously was not the case so we wound up shuttering um, the property, closing things down for many months, uh, several months. Um, we had the property more or less on, on a very uh, skeleton crew, not a lot of people on the property. Obviously, the resorts closed, the theme parks closed. But, um, but uh, a couple of months in, we had the opportunity to slowly reopen things. And we started at Disney Springs, which is our shopping district, um, where we have uh, various third-party restaurants and shops and then many Disney-owned venues as well. We were able to slowly reopen that property um, in May. Uh, and then a, a few months later in, in early July, we were able to start opening our four theme parks again. Um, and with that came a lot of conversations, a lot of protocols that we needed to put in place, things we have never had to think about before. Um, how do we um, allow people to gather in, in a situation where gathering of people is not necessarily a great thing? Uh, because of, of what and how COVID works and how it spreads. So lots of protocols that were, were, were taken um, and, and implemented, you know, things that everybody now thinks about, uh, you know, without, uh, uh, about without batting an eye. I mean, things that are very now common. So things like masks and distancing and, and physical barriers and communication and, and, and um, you know, hand washing, all those things were things we, we uh, didn't really need to think about as thoroughly. But obviously, uh, we had to do that. So that um, led to a lot of conversations around, you know, how could somebody with a disability also now start experience, experiencing our property again? So uh, I and the team were part of many of those conversations. Um, I think um, we as a company have handled uh, this very well. I think there's been a lot of success in, in how we've been able to operate, um, you know, knowing, um, you know, all, all the requirements that exist. Um, Florida, um, as a state, um, has been a little bit more uh, 
uh, relaxed, I guess, from a, an oversight from the, from the state government. So Disney, obviously, we wanted to make sure that we were doing our due diligence. So there were many things that we did that were even above and beyond uh, what might have been required by the state. Um, we're anxiously looking forward, by the way, to our partners elsewhere here in the U.S. So my, my, my partners out at the Disneyland Resort in California, I think many of your listeners uh, might know that they are, are rapidly closing in on their opening, their reopening, which is going to be later this month in April. So, so exciting times, Nina, but uh, certainly um, challenging. Um, many of our partners who are uh, lead teams in the parks and the resorts um, and those cast members, the frontline cast members that work out in the areas, you know, they, they need to physically be on site in order for us to be open. So lots of uh, training and a lot of protocols that those cast members are, are being asked to follow. And again, I think uh, collectively looking back uh, on over, you know, over the last year, I think um, we've definitely done a great job in the approach. Um, things are certainly different. Guests' experiences are slightly different than perhaps what they might recall from the past. But I think all in all, um, a, a great experience for those guests who are, are willing to, to you know, take the trip down, uh, down to Florida. Well, and, and my follow-up question to that is because I, you know, we talked about in a previous introduction call about the work you did to bring the accessibility conversation to the company. And this is pre-COVID, right? And, and to the experience because, um, you know, you, you, even as, as you're creating new experiences, new parks, new sites, you know, that has to be a part of it. So how did that sort of help prepare for, for this, for post COVID? Uh, did it like, would you feel like you were more prepared than most? I'd like to say, yes. I, I think something that's been, you know, near and dear to, to my immediate team over the years is um, the stressing of accommodations and accessibility as guest service and not basic compliance. I think there's, you know, varying opinions of that out there. There, there are those businesses out there that might just be looking at the code book to determine what they have to do um, versus businesses like Disney, where we're looking at it like, hey, what's a, what's a really good guest experience? Like, how do we make an experience for any guest, including those with disabilities, really good? And that's kind of the goal. And that's been the goal. So that really tied into your question, which is how can we provide a great guest experience for all guests during you know, these more unique times? So I think we were pretty well positioned um, and Disney, we're very good about um, strategizing an approach and how we're going to do something. We very rarely do something, you know, um, react or uh, we, we very rarely do something that's just, uh, uh, you know, on a whim, things are very planned out. We, we meet to have meetings, to have meetings, to determine, hey, what's the right approach and how do we want to do this? Yes, it takes a little longer, but I think it allows us to deliver a product and deliver services and have policies um, that make sense versus it kind of being something that keeps shifting around. Well, and I, I can tell you, uh, as, as a person with a disability, and I've uh, had the amazing experience at the Disney World and Disneyland uh, properties, and uh, I really did have an experience that was above other 
uh, very similar industry uh, locations and, and competitors. And, and so I can tell you, you know, firsthand and, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get a free pass here, uh, Mark, although uh, <laughs> if you want to send me a Disney toaster, I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain. So um, the, uh, but, but truly like, I, I, I love that you're saying that. And, and at the end of the day, like there was just, I mean, just this morning, there was a LinkedIn article that talked about the travel and entertainment industry you know, uh, you know, it, 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 finally, you know, there's more organizations that are starting to embrace the economic impact that truly can be had by this community who has quite a bit of disposable income. So it's it, it, it kind of is a business advantage to actually think about this from more than just a compliance level. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. That, and that, I was just going to. Can I, I just wanted to throw in one thing real quick because to the, to the disposable income comment, but it's also too, Mike, like, um, you know, there are parents who have a disability, like you're blind, but your son is not. Um, and so wanting to still provide, you know, an experience for them, I think is a big driver. And it's like, how do you have those big family experiences uh, I imagine, you know, like when you talk about going, uh, going to the mall with little man, I mean, there's, there's just an inherent fear, right. That, that you can't keep track of them or, or something. Totally. And, and that's, that's the thing with, uh, the Disney, like, so the, the people with disabilities community, it's, it's X size, right. So, which is pretty sizable here in the U S it's 65 million, um, that are identifying, right. So it's, it's a fairly sizable community first and foremost, but, that then you realize like, okay, there these aren't just single people out there, right? They're parts of families and broader ecosystems. And there are a lot of uh, friends and family who then want to take care of them uh, a bit more and look after them a bit more. So, so absolutely. Like it's a, uh, there are stores and brands uh, period that honestly, the, the people with disabilities community completely avoid because they're not accessible. And so for Disney to then say, no, 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 not only do we want to be, you know, compliant, we want to make the experience as good as possible. That's what I love about this conversation is because it's a, you know, it, it really is an economic conversation. This isn't a, you know, like, oh, well, I guess we have to do this. And you can hear that in the energy that you bring um, to this, this conversation, Mark. Yeah, I pr appreciate that. And I think both both of the comments you, you both just shared uh, is exactly right. I think, you know, there's there's that guest service. Hey, why would we not want to do these things? And yes, there's absolutely a business advantage for us to do that. I mean, making something accessible for everybody only means that more people would want to experience it. Why would we not do that? So, uh, you know, that that's a part of those conversations we have all the time. You know, it includes you know, things when they're in the sort of the creative stage with our Walt Disney Imagineering partners, you know, as we're looking to refurbish things that um, were built, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, uh, just trying to bring those kind of into the modern era, modern age, just ensuring that we're talking about accessibility early on in the process and that it's not something we're talking about at, you know, the 95%, uh, you know, check-in conversation and saying, oh yeah, oops, I mean, these are conversations that are happening many times when the design is still on a cocktail napkin, you know, so we're talking about this kind of thing very early on um, and, and just making sure that we're thinking about it correctly. Um, you know, I, uh, 
I, I think we do that well. We absolutely don't have it nailed down 100. percent You know, we certainly still have opportunities to do things differently and do things better. But I think that's what I really love about the company is we're willing to do that. You know, one of the things that um, we've recently done um, that you, you all, your listeners might have heard about is we have a, an, an internal um, set of sort of pillars or guidelines that we we expect of all of our cast, and it's sort of those things that you know, make you uh, a, a, a successful cast member and those things that make us a successful company. And those four pillars for many years have been safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. So those pillars have sort of guided us in everything that we do. We've very recently officially added a fifth pillar, a pillar that's been there and something that we've talked about, but it's not been, we've not gone on the record to say, hey, we're making this now an actual pillar. And that pillar that is, um, we've recently announced is inclusion. So we now have five pillars with inclusion being the one that's sort of the key to unlock the rest. So it's, you know, we've, we've taken that bold uh, approach to say, hey, we're gonna go on the record and say, that inclusion is important for us. And that's not just for people with disabilities, that's for, for people of race, color, and religion, and all of those things. You know, We're gonna make the bold statement that we're going to try to be better about that. And that's gonna reflect itself in many of our offerings. Your listeners might've read about, for example, some updates we're gonna be doing to the Jungle Cruise attraction, some updates we're gonna be doing to the Splash Mountain attraction. Um, updates that were done a few years ago to the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction, you know, just to um, just reflect the way things are today and make sure that we're not, in, you know, inadvertently creating challenges or barriers um, for guests of certain backgrounds. What are some of those updates to those attractions? I'm kind of curious if you if you can share with us some of the yeah the uh, the pirates uh, attraction uh, you know there there were you know at some point in in the attractions past there were scenes that uh, portrayed um, pirates chasing uh, women uh, in sort of a circular way kind of almost like they're 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 running around in in a circle uh, within one of the the casitas or one of the buildings. Uh, and that was just kind of, it was kind of a ha-ha, kind of a laugh kind of thing. But, you know, when you start thinking about that, that, that just doesn't, it's probably not a good message. Same thing, true, there was a scene in the attraction where there were uh, uh, ladies being sold uh, as property, and there were sort of pirates that were sort of bidding on that process. Again, not, not, not very inclusive. So those have been replaced with a bit of a, a different storyline. Um, Splash Mountain, uh, you know, the, the film in which Splash Mountain is based um, certainly has um, some challenges in it. So that is going to be uh, switched um, over to a different experience uh, that's going to feature uh, just, again, a more inclusive storyline. And then the Jungle Cruise, certain, um, certain things that you might see in the Jungle Cruise experience, uh, you know, uh, reflecting uh, natives and other, you know, things that, that um, you know, were were, were well, way more accepting back in the 50s and 60s when the Jungle Cruise was built. You know, those experiences are also going to be modernized uh, and scenes are going to be modernized to be more, uh, more inclusive. I, I love hearing that. And to think that, uh, you know, and I, I hate to say this, like the social norms, right? The accessible social norms of the 50s, 60s, maybe the 70s. Um, that Disney is absolutely taking a hard look at this and saying, uh, that's, that doesn't represent our values. Yep. Exactly that. 
And I, and I love hearing that. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is like, um, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a fairly significant tech company, Apple, that's had the, uh, one on their, one of their values has been accessibilities for, for a long time. Uh, they were the first big tech company to actually, you know, put it down that their one of their values was accessibility. And I'm telling you within the, the people with disabilities community, it's kind of like a cult following for that brand because, they just they they've uh, said yes yes to us, and so the fact of the matter that Disney so again like thinking about that that kind of you know economic impact to the, the the Disney brand I just I just find it and again thinking of inclusion yeah it's bigger than the people with disabilities community I totally agree with that I I love the idea of inclusion uh, being a value and a pillar because I think it's only going to make you know Disney that much more amazing. Uh, yeah, and it's been, you know, those of us that are a lot closer to that, that work here internally with the company, I mean, we're very excited because, again, this is not a new conversation. This is something that we've talked about at length internally for many years. But now that, you know, our, our executives have have taken a stand, if you will, to say, hey, we need to we need to officially make sure that our customers and our guests understand that inclusion is important to us. So that's that was kind of a big deal, especially the fact that the four pillars had been the four pillars for, for literally at, at, from the inception almost of our parks business. So we're talking like way back to like the fifties. Yeah. I, I gotta say, I, I actually have, like, I, I think I went to Disney world 30 years ago now. And I actually remember the pirates of the Caribbean scenes that you're talking about. And I think that, um, you know, with Disney plus coming out and, you know, releasing all of the, the old catalog uh, or, you know, opening up the Disney vault, as they said, <laughs> of, of stuff. It was, you know, there was a lot of things in there that you remember from your childhood as just being something that existed. And then, you know, with your adult lens of, you know, the 2020 lens, 2021 lens, you, you realize how problematic it is. And so um, it's really cool to see Disney, like really thinking about that deeply reflecting on it and, and making changes. That's so important. Mark, I one of the things in our pre-conversation that it really, again, the leadership, obviously the passion that you bring to Disney, but the fact of the matter is that you also, uh, I'd love for you to talk about a little bit of your experience uh, and maybe close us out uh, because you, you take your leadership, obviously you don't take your IP or anything, but you take your leadership to this space and you do talk to other brands and other organizations about, you know, accessibility and services, that sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit about those, uh, you know, collaborative uh, ventures that you do? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, there are, are several, you know, large companies, large businesses out there who are kind of in the same business we are, uh, you know, specifically in the sort of parks and resorts business that I, I work in. Um, you know, you've got competitors out there um, that are, are big hotel operators, you know, theme park operators, you know, uh, multi-experience resort properties, etc. And, you know, accessibility is one of those things that we have, you know, we've chatted at length about and said, hey, accessibility isn't something that should be proprietary or unique to a single company. Like, we're all in this together. So I have of regular conversations with what you would call competitors, other businesses out there who kind of do what we do. And we talk about accessibility and what they might be doing and what we might be doing. 
obviously we have to have some guardrails on, on how forthcoming we are about, you know, future projects, but as far as things in the moment or policies or procedures, or, you know, here locally in Orlando, um, we many times have the same guests. People that visit Walt Disney World uh, are also going to visit the other parks here in town. So, you know, why not talk about it and why not use, um, you know, real guest experiences as a reason for us to get better. If, you know, we're not doing something or we're not thinking about something in the right way, being able to kind of talk about that. So that's something that we try to do on a regular basis. And that, you know, even goes beyond those theme parks and resorts. You know, we also try to talk to businesses out there, um, you know, larger companies. We're pretty involved in, um, you know, some organizations out there that your your listeners might might be familiar with that bring many companies together, you know, kind of under that disability banner. Um, we also um, try to leverage a lot of our advocates. So we have certainly some great advocacy organizations out there for, for varying types of disabilities and causes. And we try to be good partners to them and, and listen to what they have to say and go to them when they might have questions uh, for you know, various things or new policies or procedures. You know, another thing that's really awesome that we have is we have a large network of business employee resource groups here at Disney. So ERGs would be another name for those. Uh, one of those ERGs, it's actually one of the ones that I, I co-chair uh, with another uh, cast member is called Enabled. Uh, and we have an Enabled Florida chapter. Uh, Enab Enabled Florida is specifically for those cast members, crew and employees who either have disabilities or have a passion around accessibility because of just a, a, a family member, or just maybe just a passion. And we, um, it's a volunteer uh, organization for cast crew and employees. And we give um, them opportunity to uh, participate in workshops and presentations and various speakers that we bring in so folks can stay connected in the work, although they may not, you know, have a day job that focuses on accessibility, the ability for cast members to participate in, in accessibility topics, you know, is huge. And then we then use those cast members, crew and employees as a way for us to uh, have a sounding board for ideas. So when we're developing something new or refurbishing something old and we wanna get the lens of, well, what does a person with a particular disability think about this? We have that internal network that we're able to leverage of employees who live that daily to be able to get that perspective. So I think all of those things combined, uh, you know, back to that original point, Mike, is, you know, accessibility isn't one of those things that needs to be guarded or kept as some sort of trade secret. This is something that all businesses should openly chat about and be able to share ideas back and forth, because I think that's the only way we're really going to see true inclusion across the board. Oh, love it. I mean, that's such the perfect way to, to close out because exactly like other, if you're not doing that, if you're not being inclusive, you're literally the opposite. And so you can't, you know, you can't spout out to the world that you are this inclusive place when you're not willing to truly be inclusive, truly share what you've learned with others. And um, I think it's just so cool to see Disney leading a lot in, in efforts that truly do impact people globally. I think it's just amazing. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark, for, uh, again, just, just being responsive to <laughs> just, you know, kind of a, almost a sales pitch, you know, I said, hey, I'd love to talk to you about a podcast and your, your willingness to do that. Again, it shows your, uh, just, just your true passion about talking about this topic. Obviously, I mean, you, you do look at this as it's bigger. It's not just 
intellectual property. Yes, uh, Disney has a lot of that in and around this, but accessibility is just, it's, it's good for us to talk about this. Like we have to get that conversation out there. Uh, it will make the world a more inclusion friendly place, a more inclusive place period. So thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom and your passion with us and our guests today. So um, uh, thank you very much, Nina and Ubaldo. Thank you as always for being my amazing co-hosts and, uh, Mark, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Awesome. And thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Take care, everybody. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.